so good to see everybody. Um, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And um, this morning, I have the privilege of launching a, a new series. And, you know, I was just thinking about this, and I don't know if it's in my old age, I'm starting to get sentimental, but, you know, I was just realizing this is the last series that we are going to have in this building after five and a half years um, before we move um, into the Performing Arts Center. So, man, we're excited about that, but we're also grieving um, the end of an era. So it's a sentimental, emotional um, one for us. But uh, the series we are launching uh, this morning is ridiculously titled super mega epic summer series. And the reason for that is we want to see if you can say five times faster somebody else without smiling. So that's the goal over the next number um, of weeks. Super wasn't enough. I mean, mega wasn't enough. Epic wasn't enough. So we had to kind of combine all of those exaggerated statements um, to capture what it is we want to spend some weeks talking um, about. But let me tell you why we called the series that, and it'll become more evident um, as uh, the weeks go on. But the the heart and the goal um, of this series is to provoke us as a church to boldly ask God to do big things and to boldly say yes to the big things God asks us to do. It is a rebellion as a church from tempered, safe, decently sized asks of God. And we want to graduate to making super mega epic requests of God and doing the big things that he calls us to do. And so we're excited about where the Lord um, wants to take us in the coming weeks. Because listen, the Bible doesn't go so far as to mock us for our small prayers But I think it gets pretty close at times. But at a bare minimum, it paints God as a big God, and then it provokes us to ask big things of this big God of ours. Um, James, the little brother of Jesus, um, wrote a letter in the New Testament. And in that letter, he kind of pokes at us with these words. Listen to these words. James chapter 4, verse 2. We'll have these up on the screens. James says, you desire, or you want, or you long, you have these big things in your life that you would love to see happen, um, but you don't have them. So, you go crazy. You start to kill, you start to backbite, you start to claw, you start to reach. And he says, you covet You hate, you're jealous, but you cannot get what you want. So you become theatrical and you become dramatic. And so you start to quarrel and you start to fight with people who have glimpses of the things that you may be wanting. You start to quarrel and wrestle with the people who you think could possibly give you these big things that you desire and you long for. And he says you don't have because, newsflash, you do not ask God. There are some big things in your life that you do not have simply because you do not ask God. Now, don't get me wrong. You ask other people. And you you talk to everybody else. You even wish you had these things. You plan and you whine for these things, but you still don't have them. And James says it's because 
you don't ask God. There are big answers in heaven with your name on it that you don't have because you don't ask God. And you can go the rest of your life clawing and fighting and whining, but you don't ask God. There's almost this poking, this provoking, inviting God's people to ask God. I was thinking about this and I remembered um, a friend um, from college, still make fun of him for this, but um, he had a, a, a middle school meltdown, and that's an offense to middle school students, um, as an upperclassman in college, because we had some mutual friends, and in that group of friends, there was one particular girl who drove him crazy. The reason she drove him crazy was because she would go out of her way to ignore him every time he would interact with her, and then, so he would greet her, and she just, she would just keep going. How are you doing today, Amy? And she would just keep going. Amy, hello. And she would just keep going, ignoring him. It drove him nuts. Um, And honestly, there's a part of my sinful heart that watched this happen and took a little bit of delight in this. But eventually, he got so frustrated and he gained the boldness and he said, finally, I'm going to confront her. I'm going to put her in a place. I'm going to get to the bottom of what's going on. Is there some drama? Is there some beef? Is there something we need to deal with? So he finally goes up to her and he said to her, I don't understand why you ignore me every time I talk to you? Can you please give me some kind of an explanation? And she snaps right back and she says, my name is Sarah. We tease him to this day. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And uh, listen, I think this summer God wants to reintroduce us to himself. I'm God. I don't know who you've been talking to. I don't know who you've been asking. I don't know who you've been running to. But I do know there's certain things you don't have because you haven't directed them at me. The big God who invites you to ask big things. So this summer, as a church, we're excited uh, to reach up a little bit and maybe claim some of those unanswered prayers that are ours because we haven't asked them. We haven't asked them big enough. Our desire is to step into this invitation to pray big prayers to a big God and see him do big things. We don't want the reason we don't see God move in epic ways be because we haven't asked him but puny things. So I don't know what's on your prayer list, but the invitation is to upgrade this summer and ask him for great things. And then we'll transition to talk about some of the big things he's asking us to do and to see if faith isn't resident by the Spirit to step into those things. And so to help us um, to become convinced to ask God for big things, Jesus tells a pretty compelling story. Um, So we're going to look at the story Jesus tells, which I believe he tells to provoke his church to pray big, to pray bigger. Um, If you need a copy of the Bible, by the way, uh, Josh Soulsgiver, it looks like David Burden will be coming up um, the aisles. Please just slip your arm up. Let them know you need one. If you don't own a copy, just keep this one as our gift to you. But let's turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at um, a story told in primarily the first six or so verses. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. Okay, so 
Um, here's what it says, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, his followers, a, a parable to show them that they should always pray. And you're going to get a sense, he's talking about pray faith-sized prayers. That they should always pray these faith-sized prayers and not give up. And here's what he said. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Uh, let's pause for a quick second, and uh, feel free to tremble a little bit, shiver, whatever, because Jesus is starting this story by introducing us to a scary sociopathic Dude, um, he describes him as a guy who doesn't care what God thinks. Now listen, it's scary enough when somebody doesn't care what God has to say. They have no moral fiber. They have no moral anchor. They have no depth of conviction. So they do whatever with a clear conscience. But typically, even somebody who doesn't care what God thinks has some concern for cultural propriety. They have some concern for societal norms. Even a person who doesn't care what God thinks will often at least be concerned that they don't do anything to upset their mom. They might at least be concerned that they don't do anything crazy to send Nana to an early grave. Jesus is describing a person who doesn't care what God thinks and doesn't care how whatever he does affects people. That is a scary sociopathic man. To make it even worse, when you put power and influence and authority in the hands of a sociopath, now he becomes entirely dangerous. Okay, but I'm going to get back to the verses uh, we're talking about for today. A sociopath in power is what Jesus is describing in this passage of Scripture. No conviction, no compassion, no concern. The only thing this guy cared about, the only law this particular judge cared about was the law of the loot. He wanted to figure out how he could make a buck at the expense of the people who showed up into his courtroom. And he had the authority and the power to do this without being checked. Don't get me wrong, I'll rule in your favor if you don't mind directing these funds to uh, said offshore account. The keeper of the law, the most powerful guy, is a corrupt and scary sociopath. And Jesus says, anyway, so one day, the sweetest little widow lady came to see uh, by the way, Jesus, in the rest of the story, could not have picked two more contrasting cultural characters. These two individuals, a judge and a widow, widow, would have fallen on the opposite sides of the continuum of influence and significance in, in that particular culture. A widow and a judge walk into a bar. That would have been the punchline. No need for the rest of the joke. These two people rolled in different echelons. They had nothing to do with each other. But their worlds are about to clash in this compelling story Jesus tells. So Jesus goes on. And look at what he says. He says in verse 3, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to this sociopathic judge with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, let me just put a little cultural color 
in what Jesus is saying in these words. The picture Jesus is painting with this contrast of characters. Um, now, don't shoot the messenger. Um, I'm just reporting the news. Um, in first century Middle Eastern culture, um, to get a sense of this widow's world, um, a, a woman was prohibited from having a career outside of the home. So the husband, the cheddar, wife, the children, that's just the way it went. On top of that, a, a woman could not have property in her name. The husband could own property. The husband could even write property in the name of his sons, but not the wife, not the mom. The husband could also write his property over to a third-party power of attorney um, so that if the husband died, this third-party power of attorney could distribute some funds to this widow so that she would have something to live on, but she herself would have nothing in her name. So, when a widow, a woman's husband, died, life became a little challenging for her. She had a number of options. Number one, if she happened to have sons, and if her sons happened not to be sociopathic, selfish, you know, punk kids, then they would take care of their mom. That's how she would depend. That's how she would survive. Her sons. If not her sons, then she would hope that her husband loved her enough and was forward-thinking enough to have left some money for her with a third-party power of attorney. And that third-party power of attorney would kind of give her money so that she could live on money, or he would sell the property and give her the proceeds of that property. Third option for her would be she would remarry so that she would become dependent on another man for her survival. This story is emotionally charged because the fact that this widow comes to see a judge, a judge whose crazy reputation precedes him, it only could mean those three options were not for her. She was probably too old to work um, in any particular regard, and she's a woman, so she couldn't work anyway. She's probably too old to remarry. By the way, uh, there was a, third op a fourth option for a, a widow in that particular culture. Um, if her husband died, she had the option to go groveling at the doorstep of her in-laws and ask them to take her in. Because the in-laws had paid the dowry, so in a sense, they technically have claim over her. And so many sad stories of widows who were abused and turned into glorified slaves in the homes of their in-laws. But I'm guessing she's too old to be of any benefits to her in-laws, so they won't take her. It's likely she doesn't have any sons. The worst of the options for a widow was that she would have to sell herself into slavery as a means of survival. There are countless tragic stories of women who sold themselves into slavery because that was the next best option above death. So this woman is probably at the age where she can't even sell herself into slavery. She's too weak to do that kind of work. So here she is in the courtroom of the shadiest judge on the planet, or at least in that particular area, which means she was too old to work. She was too old to be taken in. She probably had no sons. 
And so she comes to see the judge because her husband probably left her some property to a third-party power of attorney. And this third-party power of attorney decided to develop some voluntary amnesia, and he can't remember getting anything for her. And so he's starving her out. No matter how many emails she sends, no matter how many times she shows up at his house, no matter how many text messages she sends, no matter what she tries, the third-party power of attorney says, I don't remember anything your husband left in my name for you. And so she knows it's just a matter of time before she probably dies of starvation at her age, while this third-party power of attorney is building an extension on his house. So in absolute desperation, she comes to see this judge. Um, unfortunately for her, the judge is shadier than this third-party power of attorney who's not giving her the money. This judge, again, no conscience, no compassion, no conviction, no concern for anybody. All that matters to him is that he gets a little richer. So you can imagine this worn-down elderly widow comes into his courtroom. He takes one look at her, and he realizes, you have nothing that I want. There is nothing you can give me to possibly, you know, grease the slides of, of justice or whatever the case might be. And so he pretty much dismisses her case before it's even presented. Denied! And he sends her out. But... <laughs> this lady, she's too desperate to be denied. She will not be denied by this guy. She will not be deterred from this course. She's not going to be discouraged because he is the only thing standing between her and her death. So even though she knows this guy is a sociopath and he's probably a dangerous guy, she's desperate enough to disregard all that. Because, I mean, either he puts a hit on me, you know, or hunger puts a hit on me. One way or other, this girl is going to die soon. I might as well die making an attempt to live. And so she goes to see this judge. Every time the courthouse is open, she goes back. He denies her. She shows up again the next morning. Please help me. Every morning he shows up to work. There she is, just waiting for him. Please help me. Every time he goes to Starbucks to get a latte before work, she's there now waiting for him. Every time he goes on a date with his wife, she's there looking in the window, talking about it must be nice to eat, waiting for him. Please help me. Please help me. She just won't go away. Apparently, she has zero cash, but judge finds out soon enough she does have a little crazy. Because when you're desperate, right? Please save my life, she says. And she goes from begging to pestering to just outright stalking. And after a steady dose of this, she finally wears down this shady judge. And I love what Jesus says. Look at verse 4. It says, for some time, the judge refused. But finally, he reasoned to himself. So apparently, he was a reasonable man. He says, even though I don't fear God, check, I don't care what people think. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That is the best verse. That's a life verse. Memorize that one. This little desperate widow eventually wears down the big bad 
judge. I don't care about God. I don't care about justice. I don't care about this woman, but I do care about me. And this woman is driving me crazy. Plus, have you seen the crazy look in her eye? I don't know about her, but I have a funny feeling she might cut me if I don't give her what she wants. And so eventually, out of self-preservation, this judge, he sways justice in her favor. He wields his authority, essentially saving her life. And this crazy little old lady walks away and lives happily ever after. At least that's how I like to picture the story of her and a sunset on a horse. Really nothing like that, but she left and she was good. Then Jesus turns to his followers and he says, "Um, be like Be like her. Jesus is so masterful at telling compelling stories to teach compelling truths. And he tells this compelling story of this crazy little lady because he wants to provoke his people to be like her. And more to the point, Jesus is saying, pray like her. Pray like her. Jesus, like his little brother James, wants to invite his people to pray super, mega, epic-sized prayers. To graduate from small requests to making massive requests in the presence of a great God. And if you're going to be big prayers, then the story of this little woman is a great place to start. And Jesus says... Pray like her. Her story serves as a starter's guide to praying big. And that's why we want to to look at it. Um, and, And we want to mine out of it some of the principles that we as a church want to lean into as we move forward, just longing to become a church that prays big, full of people who pray big things to a big God. And here are a number of the principles we learn from this crazy little lady. I love her story. And I do aspire to be like her in, in certain ways more than others. But here are a number of principles, and um, we'll have these up on the screens um, for those of you who uh, take notes and all of the rest of you who should. So, um, if we're going to move towards praying super mega epic prayers, Um, we learn from this woman that we need to start a list. Start a list. Now, I don't care what you call this list, super list, mega list, epic list, D list, A list, whatever you call it, just start a list. In fact, this morning, the takeaway point What we want you to walk away with, your homework assignment is to start a list. We long to see God start to do some epic things in our world this summer. But if that's going to happen, we've got to start a list. That's the thing I want to convince you to do before you leave or at least soon after you leave this room. Start a list. And here's what I mean. Uh, The heart of this story is about a helpless woman with a desperate need that only this judge 
can deliver. Start that list. All right, let me clarify uh, a little bit more. Because this story is intended to reach deep within us and woo out of us that unique list of things in our worlds that we are desperate for, but only God can do. Start that list. Start a list. Super, mega, epic prayers. Church. The kinds of prayers that Jesus is egging us on to make are prayers for the kinds of things that are too great to ignore, but too big for us to accomplish. If you're going to pray big, you'd better get working on that list of things that you want desperately, but no amount of your working can ever make it happen. There's only one judge in the universe and beyond who can pull it off. Start a list. A list of desperate requests that only God can deliver. I call mine the D-list, by the way, and that's why. Because I'm desperate for something that only God can do. So therefore, it's my D-list. You can call, name your own list. But just start one. It's a list of those things you may have tried to change, you may have tried to fix for years. And you are getting to the point where you realize, I cannot, no matter how many text messages, no matter how many times I knock on the door of the shady third party, the power of attorney, I cannot shift justice in my favor. Someone else has to do it for me. A list of things that you've exhausted every option and every resource to try and remedy and you know you can't do it. Or maybe you haven't even tried because you know out of the gates there's nothing you can do to make that desperate desire happen. You must outsource to the only one who can pull it off. Start a list. For this little lady, her list was short. Give me justice against an adversary that I'm powerless to fight. Give me justice. That was on her list. What's going to be on yours? This summer, we want to go on an adventure. We want to accept the biblical invitation. An adventure that takes us to places of faith where we see God move in big ways. It starts with a list. What is the thing you most desperately want that only God can do for you? And yeah, by the way, I am so discriminating and looking down on your puny little petty, tame prayer list. I mean, nothing against it. Prayer is good in any regard. But I'm kind of looking down on that list because, listen, If you can still do something to pull it off, don't put it on the list. That's not super mega or epic. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to put this on. the. No, don't put that on the list. Just stop eating at McDonald's 17 times a day. You can actually do something about this. I'm going to put this. No, just pick up the phone and call your aunt. And make things right. God, would you fix it? That's not super mega epic prayer. That's, not, that's a D-list. That's debating with God. 
Hey, God, would you do this? You do it. No, you, no, you, you can do it. You do it. I'm talking about things that you cannot do, no matter how hard or how much or how greatly you try. Super mega epic faith-sized prayers start when there is something you desperately need or want that only God can do. What's going on your list? And when your body is failing and every medical option is exhausted or excluded or precluded, put it on the list. Let's pray big. When there is nothing anyone can do, put it on the list. When you cannot break that destructive pattern of habits and behaviors and dependencies that are taking your life down in a deathward spiral, put that addiction on the list. I mean, you're 15 years in now. And you've been trying to stop and you've been trying to change and and you've been making every attempt and you've been working, you've been knocking and you've been reading. Put it on the list. When that marriage is dead in the water and no amount of effort seems like it's able to help and no plea to get help and no plea to, to make some changes is being heard, put it on the list. When there is nothing you can do. When it feels like it's always dark and cloudy and rainy in your heart. And you can't even fake a smile. Put that emotional despair on a list. Put it on a list. When that family member will leave the room if you even bring up the name of Jesus in their presence. Put it on a list. You can try, you know, apologetics and becoming really theologically astute if you want to. But put it on a list. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. When you feel called to launch a business venture or you feel called to go on a mission adventure, the problem is your resources won't catch up with this calling. Put it on a list. You know there is something desperately placed in you to pull off, but you cannot pull it off by any amount of... Your resources fall short. Put it on a list. When your kids are making choices that threaten to unhinge them, put that on a list. And can I just say this, by the way, also? Um, Maybe for you, You just plain desperately want to travel and see the world. God, can I please get out of America? But my resources have never allowed me to live this dream of seeing your world, God. I'm putting that on the list. Now, I know some of you might be putting that on the list because you want to leave the country for a variety of other reasons, but whatever. Put it on the list. It doesn't have to be some super spiritual thing, and we'll talk about that here in a second. For you, it may just be like, I've never actually had a healthy relationship. Can I please just have one healthy relationship with God? Put it on a list. 
When you know there's nothing you can do, at least you've attempted and it hasn't worked. Put it on a list. You need a job that meets the needs of a growing family. Whatever is the desperate thing that you feel you cannot pull off. Start a list. This summer we want to dare God to do big things and see him move in big ways. And so we want to build a runway, a list of things that God will touch down on. And so we want to start a list. And I don't know what's going to go on yours, but since we're all friends, you know, I'll share a little bit um, um, about us. Uh, My wife and I, uh, spending a, a little bit of time trying to do this more and more and more. And on our list, there are a number of things. You know, one of them, for instance, is um, there is uh, a particular marriage in our extended family that is deeply, deeply troubled. And there's nothing we can do about it, and we're tired of whining about it, we're tired of talking to each other about it, we're tired of wishing differently about it, and so we've put it on a list. And our prayer request is not so much that God would rescue the marriage. Our prayer request isn't that God would restore the marriage. Our prayer request is that God would renovate the marriage, transforming it into something so transcendent to what they ever dreamed it would be. Because he says, ask big, and we want to take him up on that. Um, This summer, we are praying for um, our kids. Um, And we are praying that God would make our kids spiritual warriors. That's our prayer. Because listen to me, I am so tired of praying puny prayers that say, God, would you protect our kids from the big bad world? No, no, I'm praying that God would raise in our kids a warrior spirit that would require the world to be protected from them. We're praying something bigger. Then I don't want my kids the legacy of, well, they left the house unscathed. The world didn't touch them great, but did they make waves in their world? So we want to see heaven state warriors. I tell that to my son because it connects with his Golden State, you know, um, fanship. But that's what we're praying and asking God. Because listen, especially us younger parents, we are still naive enough to believe if we just put enough rules around it, if we just protect them enough, and if we just yell loudly enough and send them to their room enough times, we're going to make them godly. Nope. Put it on the list. And so we have, and as many of you know, we're also praying for our kids who are not yet in the home. We are in the process of adopting two slash, check that, three now. The Lord has added one to the number of girls um, that um, are in Haiti, and they're not home yet, and we long for them to be home. Um, And the truth is, it's been a couple of years plus. We don't even know what to ask anymore from a timeline. So our big prayer for God is actually, would you plant in our hearts what to pray for about these three girls? Because you are a mega God. You may be doing something so significant with them in Haiti that we don't know. So please help us know what to pray and and how, how to pray for them. For me, one of my big prayer requests is that God would set my own heart ablaze this summer. Um, I've shared with you, but especially standing in the limelight of leadership in a church, it can be so easy to start to peddle the gospel and to start to work for God and miss the God for whom we work. 
And I don't want to serve out of emptiness. I don't want to serve out of insecurity. I want to serve out of a fullness that comes from falling deeply in love with the person of Jesus Christ. But I can't conjure up by reading a book. That must be something the Spirit of God stirs in me. So I'm praying the big thing of God, wrestling my heart into full submission and setting it ablaze for him. That's my prayer this summer. Feel free to put that on your list too, by the way. I mean, I'm not going to mind if you put that on your list as well. But what's on your list? What, what are you going to pray for? And I'm praying for other things. I don't know you well enough to share with you, so sorry. Um, but what's on your list? What should be on your list? As Jesus provokes us to ask God big things. What about you, bro? Do you even list? Okay, that's, that was funny to me, but, you know, I live in my own bubble sometimes. Um, here's the second thing we learned from um, this. Um, say the words. Start a list and say the words. Again, a couple of these things, we're going to really tease them out next week to talk really practically about what does praying big faith type prayer look like for us? What are some of the simple next steps? We'll talk about that uh, next week. So make sure you're here. Um, Bring your dad, bring your family. Father's Day, we'll celebrate together by talking about um, asking our father for big things. But say the words. This lady teaches us something else about praying big that you would think should be obvious. But it's not, unfortunately. Um, So she barges into this judge's courtroom and she asks him for justice. This is so key. So simple, but so key. Every time she saw him, she, she didn't say unspoken. She didn't say, well, you know, I've been here before. She didn't say to him, I mean, surely you've read the file. (laughs) I'm sure your assistant told you about it. She would verbalize the things she needed from him every single time. Please give me justice against my adversary. It's amazing how often we mistake complaining and contemplating my desire for praying. It's not the same thing. Until you've said the words, until you've spoken them, you've not prayed. Now again, I realize you can say words mentally. By the way, that's why we are so okay with some of you being... And just being totally uncomfortable praying and saying and forming words in this room when Matt led us. We're good with that. We actually want to get used to saying and speaking the words. We have deep and desperate desires that we hope God will catch on to and then answer. God does not answer unasked prayers. That's why your answer is still sitting on a shelf in heaven. You've got to ask him. You've got to say the words to him. He can read your mind, sure, but he doesn't consider reading your mind faith prayer. Well, I heard it through the grapevine because I own the grapevine, but you never actually 
barged into my courtroom and asked me for it. It's amazing. I'll oftentimes even say, you know, I'm prayerfully thinking about that. And God is like, you might be thinking about it. But thinking about it is not praying. Don't expect I'm intercepting your thoughts and you can call it prayer. This may seem basic, but if we want to see God do big things, we've got to make some big noise. We've got to actually lift our voices and say what it is we're asking him to do. Super prayer list is useless if I don't speak the words. Don't think it, church. Pray it. Don't wish it. Say it. Don't whine it. Pray it. Don't post it somewhere. Pray it. And again, we'll talk more about that. Um, Another thing I I, I think we learned from this lady uh, is the invitation to stop the disclaimers. Stop the disclaimers. If if you're going to pray big prayers, stop with the self-deprecating, the the self-conscious disclaimers. Again, We'll get into this a little bit more next week as we see some of the obstacles that keep us from getting to this place of big faith prayers. But one of the reasons we don't verbalize our big prayers is because we, 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 we disclaim um, we're self-conscious because big prayers can be so vulnerable. You realize if I put a big prayer request out there and it doesn't get answered, that's scary. It's, it's very vulnerable. And many times, big prayers are for the spiritual people. And I know the issues, and I know the sin in my life, so I can't ask him for that big thing because disclaimer, 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 God would never do such a thing for a worm like me. I have issues. I have struggles. So I'm going to hold off on asking him anything too major. And so we'll make a variety of disclaimers. God is probably too busy for me. But I love that this little um, lady wasn't deterred by the fact that she was a nobody compared to this powerful, influential judge. She wasn't measuring. I love her need on the basis of, well, other widows. We love to do that. And we usually don't talk about other widows. We talk about Africa. Like, well, there are worse things happening in Africa, so really technically my need is not that big, so I'm going to disclaim away from asking for what I need because there are bigger needs in this world and God is probably taking. She doesn't take. The other widows are struggling too. She takes her own great need to this judge, and she goes over and over again without making disclaimers, without apologizing for wasting his time. She goes straight to him. I've told the story um, uh, several times, but when my daughter was a baby, probably just a few weeks old, there was the threat that she had a brain tumor. And I'm telling you right now, It never crossed my mind. Um, Well, you know, babies die, and other people's babies have died. So why should I be any different? So you know what, God? I'll just see whatever happens. Mm -mm. I put it on the list, and then I said the words to him. I cupped her head in my hand, and I sat on the steps of his courthouse and waited for him. God, I'm asking you to heal whatever is wrong with this baby. I'm not talking about the other babies. I'm talking about this one. And sometimes we disclaim away. And God is saying, I'm dealing with your case, though. Not their cases. 
stop making disclaimers. If it's important enough to stir desperation in you, and it's impossible enough for only gods to pull off, it qualifies for the list. And I love Jesus' additional confidence. Look at um, verse 6. He does this just in case we're tempted to exempt ourselves, just in case we're tempted to wonder. He says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. This is Jesus speaking. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who, carry, uh, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is saying this to stir in us the kind of confidence that believes a big God actually wants to hear our big prayers. He he uses the judge as a picture of God, and the way he does it is interesting. He actually contrasts them, and his point is, hey, um, God is nothing like this judge. If a judge who doesn't care about God and doesn't care about people was willing to have his arm twisted to the point where he finally gave up justice, how much the God who calls you child and is willing to give up his son for your salvation, how much more? God is nothing like this judge. When you come to him, he's not reluctant. You don't have to twist his arm. Jesus tells this and paints this picture of God to invite and to provoke his church, his people, to come and ask him big things without disclaimer. Again, we'll talk about some of those sabotages next week. Um, Make an actual list, by the way. Um, Just to be clear, make an actual list. I'm not talking about a spiritual list. I'm not talking about a mental list. I'm talking about an actual list that you can see and you can tweak and you can adjust. That way, when God answers your prayer, by the way, you know because it was on a list. It was something that you were keeping track of. Uh, Our Etch-A-Sketch prayer system, church, it doesn't work. Like you put a prayer request on the Etch-A-Sketch of your mind, but every time you do this and you turn, you forgot that you even had it there. So mine lives on a Google Doc somewhere in the clouds, and that's picturesque, you know, like my prayer request is in the clouds. But do your own list. I don't know. I lose paper all the time, so that doesn't work for me. But make a physical list that you can actually see, whether it's a journal app, whether it's a piece of paper, whatever it is, I am inviting us, church, let's start an actual list and make an appointment, by the way. Um, my wife and I have started putting the kids down, you know, we've always done that, but we've, um, you know, right after we do that, we'll grab a hot drink and we'll sit on the s- stairs of the courthouse and wait for God and talk to God. Um, after we breathe from just the, you know, the relief of putting our kids down, we'll go and we'll spend some time with God. And we've set this time up because we realize busyness will always win over big prayers if we don't make it a point to make an appointment. Um, and so we started doing that. I don't know when that is for you or what time that is for you. But you know as well as I do, it was a big prayer request, and whatever happened to it, I don't know, lost track of it, don't remember when, we didn't write it down, when are we going to pray for it, I don't know, because we haven't set up a time. We want to be more radical and more dialed in 
than that. And by the way, if you've not signed up and joined us for our 25 days of prayer, I want to invite you, please do that. Matt shared this earlier on. Um, because we are wanting to see God move in big ways as each of us individually ask him for big things. But as a church, we want to lean in and ask him for some pretty mega, super mega epic things as a church. And so we would invite you to join us because we've started a list which is online. Um, it's written down. And we've even outlined some of the words that we want the church to join us in saying out to God. Um, and we've even put slots so you can make an appointment for when you say those words on that list to God so we can see him do some pretty big things. And we believe at the end of this summer, we'll look back on this list and be blown away by the way God moves. But we want to invite you, please join us in this. Please join us in this if you haven't already. Um, and it's really simple. It's missionpoint.net slash prayer. And you can jump in on a slot and join us as a church as we start to lean into big things that we're asking of God. So what is it that you are most desperate to see God do that only he can do? Put it on a list. And start to set up times where you can say that thing to him. And let's see if we don't have some pretty compelling stories, even in the middle of this summer, of the ways God is touching down and doing big things in our world because we asked big things of him. Amen? Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, do something amazing in us, that you would stir a faith in us uh, that would grow to believe you are a big God who invites us to ask big things. We have access to the creator of the universe, the king of heaven. He is our dad. So please, Lord, help us to learn from this widow and come to you to ask unthinkable, unimaginable things that only you can do. So help us now, Lord, as we start in this direction, or for some of us, continue in this direction. You are a God who answers prayer in big ways. Please lift the famine of seeing you move powerfully because we have committed to praying big faith prayers. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.